Section 28 of the Kerner Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Kuhn. Chapter 6 The Formation of the Racial Ghettos Major Trends in Negro Population Throughout the 20th century, and particularly in the last three decades, the Negro population of the United States has been steadily moving, from rural areas to urban, from south to north and west. In 1910, 2.7 million Negroes lived in American cities, 28% of the nation's Negro population of 9.8 million. Today, about 15 million Negro Americans live in metropolitan areas, or 69% of the Negro population of 21.5 million. In 1910, 885,000 Negroes, 9%, lived outside the South. Now, almost 10 million, about 45%, live in the North or West. These shifts in population have resulted from three basic trends. A rapid increase in the size of the Negro population. A continuous flow of Negroes from southern rural areas, partly to large cities in the south, but primarily to large cities in the north and west. An increasing concentration of Negroes in large metropolitan areas within racially segregated neighborhoods. Taken together, these trends have produced large and constantly growing concentrations of Negro population within big cities in all parts of the nation. Because most major civil disorders of recent years occurred in predominantly Negro neighborhoods, we have examined the causes of this concentration. The Growth Rate of the Negro Population during the first half of this century, the white population of the United States grew at a slightly faster rate than the Negro population, because fertility rates among Negro women were far more than offset by death rates among Negroes and large-scale immigration of whites from Europe. The proportion of Negroes in the country declined from 12% in 1900 to 10% in 1940. By the end of World War II, and increasingly since then, major advances in medicine and medical care, together with the increasing use of the Negro population resulting from higher fertility rates, caused death rates among Negroes to fall much faster than among whites. In addition, white immigration from outside the United States dropped dramatically after stringent restrictions were adopted in the 1920s. Thus, by mid-century, both factors which had previously offset higher fertility rates among Negro women no longer were in effect. While Negro fertility rates, after rising rapidly to 1957, have declined sharply in the past decade, white fertility rates have dropped even more, leaving Negro rates much higher in comparison. The result is that Negro population is now growing significantly faster than white population. From 1940 to 1960, the white population rose 34 percent, 
but the Negro population rose 46.6%. From 1960 to 1966, the white population grew 7.6%, whereas Negro population rose 14.4%, almost twice as much. Consequently, the proportion of Negroes in the total population has risen from 10% in 1950 to 10.5% in 1960 and 11.1% in 1966. In 1950, at least one of every ten Americans was Negro. In 1966, one in nine. If this trend continues, one of every eight Americans will be Negro by 1972. Another consequence of higher birth rates among Negroes is that the Negro population is considerably younger than the white population. In 1966, the median age among whites was 29.1 years, as compared to 21.1 among Negroes. About 35% of the white population was under 18 years of age, compared with 45% for Negroes. About one of every six children under five, and one of every six new babies, are Negroes. Negro-white fertility rates bear an interesting relationship to educational experience. Negro women with low levels of education have more children than white women with similar schooling, while Negro women with four years or more of college education have fewer children than white women similarly educated. This suggests that the difference between Negro and white fertility rates may decline in the future, if Negro educational attainment compares more closely with that of whites, and if a rising proportion of members of both groups complete college. The migration of Negroes from the South, the magnitude of this migration. In 1910, 91% of the nation's 9.8 million Negroes lived in the South. 27% of American Negroes lived in cities of 2,500 persons or more, as compared to 49% of the nation's white population. By 1966, the Negro population had increased to 21.5 million, and two significant geographical shifts had taken place. The proportion of Negroes living in the South had dropped to 55%, and about 69% of all Negroes lived in metropolitan areas, compared to 64% for whites. While the total Negro population more than doubled from 1910 to 1966, the number living in cities rose over five-fold, from 2.7 million to 14.8 million, and the number outside of the South rose 11-fold, from 885,000 to 9.7 million. Negro migration from the South began after the Civil War. By the turn of the century, sizable Negro populations lived in many large northern cities. Philadelphia, for example, had 63,400 Negro residents in 1900. The movement of Negroes out of the rural South accelerated during World War I, when floods and bull weevils hurt farming in the South, and the industrial demands of the war created thousands of new jobs for unskilled workers in the North. After the war, the shift to mechanized farming 
spurred the continued movement of Negroes from rural southern areas. The Depression slowed this migratory flow, but World War II set it in motion again. More recently, continued mechanization of agriculture and the expansion of industrial employment in northern and western cities have served to sustain the movement of Negroes out of the South, although at a slightly lower rate. From 1960 to 1963, annual Negro out-migration actually dropped to 78,000, but then rose to over 125,000 from 1963 to 1966. Important Characteristics of This Migration it is useful to recall that even the latest scale of Negro migration is relatively small when compared to the earlier waves of European immigrants. A total of 8.8 .8 million immigrants entered the United States between 1901 and 1911, and another 5.7 million arrived during the following decade. Even during the years from 1960 through 1966, the 1.8 million immigrants from abroad were almost three times the 613,000 Negroes who departed the South. In these same six years, California alone gained over 1.5 million new residents from internal shifts of American population. Three major routes of Negro migration from the South have developed. One runs north along the Atlantic seaboard toward Boston another north from Mississippi toward Chicago, and the third west from Texas and Louisiana toward California. Between 1955 and 1960, 50% of the non-white migrants to New York metropolitan area came from North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, and Alabama. North Carolina alone supplied 20% of all New York's non-white immigrants. During the same period, almost 60% of the non-white migrants to Chicago came from Mississippi, Tennessee, Arkansas, Alabama, and Louisiana. Mississippi accounted for almost one-third. During these years, three-fourths of the non-white migrants to Los Angeles came from Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, and Alabama. The flow of Negroes from the South has caused the Negro population to grow more rapidly in the North and West. As a result, although a much higher proportion of Negroes still reside in the South, the distribution of Negroes throughout the United States is beginning to approximate that of whites. Negroes in the North and West are now so numerous that natural increase rather than migration provides the greater part of Negro population gains there. And even though Negro migration has continued at a high level, it comprises a constantly declining proportion of Negro growth in these regions. In other words, we have reached the point where the Negro populations of the North and West will continue to expand significantly, even if migration from the South drops substantially. Future Migration Despite accelerating Negro migration from the South, the Negro population there has continued to rise. Nor is it likely to halt. Negro birth rates in the South, as elsewhere, have fallen sharply since 1957, but
but so far this decline has been offset by the rising Negro population base remaining in the South. From 1950 to 1960, Southern Negro births generated an average net increase of 254,000 per year, and from 1960 to 1966, an average of 188,000 per year. Even if Negro birth rates continue to fall, they are likely to remain high enough to support significant migration to other regions for some time to come. The Negro population in the South is becoming increasingly urbanized. In 1950, there were 5.4 million Southern rural Negroes. By 1960, 4.8 million. But this decline has been more than offset by increases in the urban population. A rising proportion of interregional migration now consists of persons moving from one city to another. From 1960 to 1966, rural population in the South was far below its peak, but the annual average migration of Negroes from the South was still substantial. These facts demonstrate that Negro migration from the South, which has maintained a high rate for the past 60 years, will continue unless economic conditions change dramatically in either the South or the North and West. This conclusion is reinforced by the fact that most Southern states in recent decades have also experienced outflows of white population. From 1950 to 1960, 11 of the 17 southern states, including the District of Columbia, exported white population as compared to 13 which exported Negro population. Excluding Florida's net gain by migration of 1.5 million, the other 16 southern states together had a net loss by migration of 1.46 million whites. The Concentration of Negro Population in Large Cities Where Negro Urbanization Has Occurred Statistically, the Negro population in America has become more urbanized and more metropolitan than the white population. According to Census Bureau estimates, almost 70% of all Negroes in 1966 lived in metropolitan areas, compared to 64% of all whites. In the South, more than half the Negro population now lives in cities. Rural Negroes outnumber urban Negroes in only four states, Arkansas, Mississippi, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Basic data concerning Negro urbanization trends presented in tables at the conclusion of this chapter indicate that 1. Almost all Negro population growth is occurring within metropolitan areas, primarily within central cities. From 1950 to 1966, the U.S. Negro population rose 6.5 million. Over 98% of that increase took place in metropolitan areas, 86% within central cities, 12% in the urban fringe. The vast majority of white population growth is occurring in suburban populations of metropolitan areas. From 1950 to 1966, 77.8% of the white population increase of 35.6 million took place in the suburbs. 
Central cities received only 2.5% of this total white increase. Since 1960, white central city population has actually declined by 1.3 million. As a result, central cities are steadily becoming more heavily Negro, while the urban fringes around them remain almost entirely white. The proportion of Negroes in all central cities rose steadily from 12% in 1950 to 17% in 1960 to 20% in 1966. Meanwhile, metropolitan areas outside of central cities remained 95% white from 1950 to 1960 and became 96% white by 1966. The Negro population is growing faster, both absolutely and relatively, in the larger metropolitan areas than in the smaller ones. From 1950 to 1966, the proportion of non-whites in the central cities of metropolitan areas with one million or more persons doubled, reaching 26%, as compared with 20% in the central cities of metropolitan areas containing from 250,000 to 1 million persons, and 12% in the central cities of metropolitan areas containing under 250,000 persons. The 12 largest central cities, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Detroit, Baltimore, Houston, Cleveland, Washington, D.C., St. Louis, Milwaukee, and San Francisco, now contain over two-thirds of the Negro population outside the South and almost one-third of the total in the United States. All of these cities have experienced rapid increases in Negro population since 1950. In six, Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, St. Louis, Milwaukee, and San Francisco, the proportion of Negroes at least doubled. In two others, New York and Los Angeles, it probably doubled. In 1968, seven of these cities are over 30% Negro, and one, Washington, D.C., is two-thirds Negro. Factors Causing Residential Segregation in Metropolitan Areas The early pattern of Negro settlement within each metropolitan area followed that of immigrant groups. Migrants converged on the older sections of the central city because the lowest-cost housing was located there. Friends and relatives were likely to be living there, and the older neighborhoods then often had good public transportation. But the later phases of Negro settlement and expansion in metropolitan areas diverged sharply from those typical of white immigrants. As the whites were more absorbed by the larger society, many left their predominantly ethnic neighborhoods and moved to outlying areas to obtain newer housing and better schools. Some scattered randomly over the suburban area. Others established new ethnic clusters in the suburbs, but even these rarely contained solely members of single ethnic groups. As a result, most middle-class neighborhoods, both in the suburbs and within central cities, have no distinctive ethnic character except that they are white. Nowhere has the expansion of America's urban Negro population followed this pattern of dispersal Thousands of Negro families have attained incomes, living standards, and cultural levels matching or surpassing those of whites, 
who have upgraded themselves from distinctly ethnic neighborhoods yet most negro families have remained within predominantly negro neighborhoods primarily because they have been effectively excluded from white residential areas their exclusion has been accomplished through various discriminatory practices some obvious and overt others subtle and hidden deliberate efforts are sometimes made to discourage negro families from purchasing or renting homes in all white neighborhoods intimidation and threats of violence have ranged from throwing garbage on lawns and making threatening phone calls to burning crosses in yards and even dynamiting property more often real estate agents simply refuse to show homes to negro buyers many middle-class negro families therefore cease looking for homes beyond all negro areas or nearby changing neighborhoods for them trying to move into all white neighborhoods is not worth the psychological efforts and costs required another form of discrimination just as significant is white withdrawal from or refusal to enter neighborhoods where large numbers of negroes are moving or already residing normal population turnover causes about twenty percent of the residents of average u s neighborhoods to move out every year because of income changes job transfers shifts in lifestyle position or death this normal turnover rate is even higher in apartment areas the refusal of whites to move into changing areas when vacancies occur there from normal turnover means that most of these vacancies are eventually occupied by negroes an inexorable shift towards heavy negro occupancy results once this happens the remaining whites seek to leave thus confirming the existing belief among whites that complete transformation of a neighborhood is inevitable once negroes begin to enter since the belief itself is one of the major causes of the transformation it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy which inhibits the development of racially integrated neighborhoods as a result negro settlements expand almost entirely through massive racial transition at the edges of existing all negro neighborhoods rather than by gradual dispersion of population throughout the metropolitan area two points are particularly important massive transition requires no panic or flight by the original white residents of a neighborhood into which negroes begin moving all it requires is the failure or refusal of other whites to fill the vacancies resulting from normal turnover thus efforts to stop massive transition by persuading present white residents to remain will ultimately fail unless whites outside the neighborhood can be persuaded to move in it is obviously true that some residential separation of whites and negroes would occur even without discriminatory practices by whites this would result from the desires of some negroes to live in predominantly negro neighborhoods and from differences in meaningful social variables such as income and educational levels but these factors alone would not lead to the almost complete segregation of whites and negroes which has developed in our metropolitan areas the exodus of whites from central cities 
The process of racial transition in central city neighborhoods has been only one factor among many others causing millions of whites to move out of central cities as the Negro populations there expanded. More basic, perhaps, have been the rising mobility and affluence of middle-class families and the more attractive living conditions, particularly better schools, in the suburbs. Whatever the reason, the result is clear. In 1950, 45.5 million whites lived in central cities. If this population had grown from 1950 to 1960 at the same rate as the nation's white population as a whole, it would have increased by 8 million. It actually rose only 2.2 million, indicating an outflow of 5.8 million. From 1960 to 1966, the white outflow appears to have been even more rapid. White population of central cities declined 1.3 million instead of a rising 3.6 million, as it would have if it had grown at the same rate as the entire white population. In theory, therefore, 4.9 million whites left central cities during these six years. Statistics for all central cities as a group understate the relationship between Negro population growth and white outflow in individual central cities. The fact is, many cities with relatively few Negroes experienced rapid white population growth, thereby obscuring the size of white out-migration that took place in cities having large increases in Negro population. For example, from 1950 to 1960, the ten largest cities in the United States had a total Negro population increase of 1.6 million, or 55%, while the white population there declined 1.4 million. If the two cities where the white population increased, Los Angeles and Houston, are excluded, the non-white population in the remaining eight rose 1.4 million, whereas their white population declined 2.1 million. If the white population in these cities had increased at only half the rate of the white population in the United States as a whole from 1950 to 1960, it would have risen by 1.4 million. Thus, these eight cities actually experienced a white out-migration of at least 3.5 million while gaining 1.5 million non-whites. The Extent of Residential Segregation the rapid expansion of all Negro residential areas and large-scale white withdrawal have continued a pattern of residential segregation that has existed in American cities for decades. A recent study reveals that this pattern is present to a higher degree in every large city in America. The authors devised an index to measure the degree of residential segregation. The index indicates for each city the percentage of Negroes who would have to move from the blocks where they now live to other blocks in order to provide a perfectly proportional, unsegregated distribution of the population. According to their findings, the average segregation index for 207 of the largest U.S. cities was 86.2 in 1960. This means that at an average of over 86% of all Negroes would have had to change blocks to create an unsegregated population distribution. 
southern cities had a higher average index, 90.9, than cities in the northeast, 79.2, the north central, 87.7, or the west, 79.3. Only eight cities had index values below 70, whereas over 50 had values above 91.7. The degree of residential segregation for all 207 cities has been relatively stable, averaging 85.2 in 1940, 87.3 in 1950, and 86.2 in 1960. Variations within individual regions were only slightly higher. However, a recent Census Bureau study shows that in most of the 12 large cities where special censuses were taken in the mid-1960s, the proportions of Negroes living in neighborhoods of greatest Negro concentration had increased since 1960. Residential segregation is generally more prevalent with respect to Negroes than for any other minority group, including Puerto Ricans, Orientals, and Mexican Americans. Moreover, it varies little between central city and suburb. This nearly universal pattern cannot be explained in terms of economic discrimination against all low-income groups. Analysis of 15 representative cities indicates that white, upper, and middle-income households are far more segregated from Negro upper- and middle-income households than from white, lower-income households. In summary, the concentration of Negroes in central cities results from a combination of forces. Some of these forces, such as migration and initial settlement patterns in older neighborhoods, are similar to those which affected previous ethnic minorities. Others, particularly discrimination in employment and segregation in housing and schools, are a result of white attitudes based on race and color. These forces continue to shape the future of the central city. This ends section 28.